Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. So um, for those of you who may be uh, just joining us, we have been in the Gospel of John. Uh, We've been looking at, we're going to be looking at some other writings of uh, John, the beloved disciple, the closest disciple to to Jesus. Uh, But we're going to start in the text of John chapter 12, 1 through 15. Um, Now, it's really difficult when you're trying to go through a book of the Bible and then you have to jump forward because, you know what, it is Palm Sunday. How do I um, not jump forward, right? So here we are. John chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for, for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with the table, with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was the thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to put what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but do not, you will not always have me. Verse 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because of the account of him. Many of Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. And uh, we come together and we just, just like this day, we celebrate and we sing Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Lord, we just, uh, just open our hearts before you and ask for you, Lord, to prepare our hearts this week and to just really reveal yourself in ways, Lord, that, that is just to expand our understanding of, of who you are. And the church said, Amen, amen. Between the kids showing up and to show their praises with palm branches this morning and the reading of scripture from Roman, I think that we have a pretty good understanding of Palm Sunday. And, uh, you know, it's the preparation, as we read in John, it's six days before Passover. Um, Jesus is making his way in this, this pilgrimage, this yearly pilgrimage that's happening all over um, the ancient world. And um, it, it, was, it was just a huge time of celebration. It is, I mean, there, it's just this annual celebration that, that people are so excited for at that time and, and even still today. Now, there are two things that, that stood out to me, and I'm, I'm hoping that I can communicate them in a way that connects with you this morning. And, um, and so that, that's really what I'm hoping. So number one, I hope for you to be encouraged and that you leave this place realizing that your prayer matters. Your praise 
matters. Okay, that your praise, your individual praise matters. Our corporate praise matters, but also you matter. And the way that you praise matters. Even when people try and take your praise away from you. And we're going to see how many people tried to take the praise away from Jesus. And two, as a warning about judging. Isn't that always fun when we talk about judging and not to judge? This is a great time. All the Christians love talking about not judging, right? But James tells us to be quick to listen. And then we are going to see that this is not the case with most people, including us that we are not the quickest. So when it comes to praise to God, there will always be someone who is trying to extinguish or steal your praise. And some of the young adults would say, there's always going to be haters. Haters going to hate, right? Haters going to hate. So the problem that many of us face is that we have allowed the hate or negative words of others to cause us to think that what we have to offer isn't as good as what somebody else has to offer. So we've heard the words of others, we've heard the way people judge somebody else, and then we ourselves take that onto ourselves and we start to hold back our own praise to God. But again, I'm here to tell you that your praise matters. So there was a a mom who called the local grocer and she said, I sent my son there an hour ago to get five pounds of apples, and he came back with four and a quarter pounds of apples. And so she accuses this grocer, and this grocer says, you know, I check this thing weekly. Um, I have people come in and make sure that my scales are are proper, and um, our scales are fine. And then he said to the woman, have you weighed your son? There was a... uh, <laughs> it's, it's natural for us to rush, rush into judgment, right? But sometimes it's better for us to do a little bit of research before accusing someone like the mother just learned. There was a, a woman who had been smoking her whole life, two to three packs a day, and she went to her doctor, and her, her doctor said, okay, you've got to make this decision. You have to stop doing it. And, and so the doctor started saying, listen, you're going to be irritable. You're going you're gonna to probably get a little extra hungry. You're gonna, there's just going to be a, a lot of probably nervous things that you're going to get. But understand, you're going to be just cranky. And uh, the woman said, I'll be fine. So she came back a month later. The doctor said, okay, how, how's your irritability? How are you doing? How are you holding up? And, and she said, I'm great. It's just everybody I know is just terrible right now. There's so many times that we think that it's somebody else is the problem, right? We think that it's them, but actually the problem is about us. Either we, we can't see it or we are refusing to see that we actually might be part of the problem. Therefore, our judgment is flawed. And speaking of flawed judgment, there was this judge who, who he realized at a young age he was really good at judging. He was so good, in fact, that he went to uh, become a lawyer, and then he went to become a judge. And he, was, um, he had a, a very difficult time, and actually, he, uh, it, it was really a soul-searching time because he realized that judging was a lot harder when you had to hear the other side of the story. You can laugh at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Judging is so easy when you only know one side of the story, isn't it? And I think for all of us, we could say the same. I mean, think of the times that, I, I, I can't speak for you, but I'll, so I'll speak for myself. I mean, some of the stories that have come out in, the, in just in the last couple months, they've just been outrageous. And there are times I, I should know by now. I should know, but there are things that just rage up inside of me, and I'm angry. I cannot believe somebody would do this, and I cannot believe that this could happen in 2019. And then you actually hear the other side of the story. And then you realize that you spent all this time and energy on being angry about something that likely wasn't even true. And that is, again, rushing to judgment. That's why James, again, in chapter 1 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. As uh, Jesus approached Jerusalem, he's wearing a year's salary on him. He, he's coming in, and there, there is a fragrance that's going with him. We know that he was in Lazarus' house in Bethany, which is about two miles away from Jerusalem, just the night before, and it says the whole home smelled of this. We, we know from multiple Gospels that this was a year's wages. A denarii was about a work, one day's work, and so it was 300 denaries and a little bit more. And so with holidays and weekends of not working, they said this is an annual salary. So this was a huge amount of money. And he, he's coming in, smelling, and he's on a borrowed donkey coming into Jerusalem. People are celebrating, and they had really, some of them had no idea what was weighing. I, I would say actually most of them, even Jesus' closest disciples, as they celebrated, they didn't actually know the weight that was upon Jesus at that moment. As they celebrated and, and, and saw, and, and frankly, Jesus and Lazarus had hit celebrity status. They really had. I mean, people, in, in what we read in uh, John 12, it said that people were just coming to see this man who was once dead and who was alive. And they're trying to see this man who also was a miracle worker. And so the people that came, yeah, there were family members, there were disciples, there were people that had been following Jesus all along, but there are people that just want to see the celebrities. They wanted to see what was going on. Maybe Jesus was going to do some kind of sign. Wow, they can now go home and tell their friends, I saw Lazarus, I saw the man. He is actually alive. It's crazy. I, I tried to have him tell me the story. But I, I can just, I just imagine what that would have been like that day as, as the palm branches are going down and, and we know at that time that people would take off their cloaks and they would lay it on the ground as this made a way for Jesus. And then we know that Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem, began to weep. He began to weep and think about all the prophets that God had sent before and that Jerusalem had taken their lives, and it's going to happen again, and Jesus knows it. The weight is so heavy. The weight is so heavy as he comes in. I can just see the children, you know, ignorantly playing and, and having fun and, and all the noise and all the things that, that Jesus is taking in the weight of the world that's going to be coming upon him as they advance into the city. I can imagine the tears of joy, people that had been praying for this day to come, and they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And then you still have the doubters. You had people that were looking, going, okay, what king of Jerusalem or future king is going to come in on a donkey? This, I, this is not the Messiah. And there were people that left there knowing that he was not the Messiah, or at least in their hearts, thinking that he was not the Messiah. He didn't look the part. We know in Isaiah that it says that he was a very plain man. 
He was a man of sorrow, that there, were, there was nothing to draw attention to him. So people are looking at him going, this just can't be the guy. Can't, can't be the guy. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed this before, but um, we tend to get pretty uncomfortable with things that um, maybe we don't quite understand or maybe we haven't seen before. And uh, us as Christians, we're, we're known for this. Um, it's good that we take ownership of it, um, especially in, in, in areas if we've been raised in the church or if we've um, been kind of taught to see things our whole lives. And when, when things start happening outside of what is normal to us or how we think church should be done or how church people should behave, we, we begin to become um, pretty judgmental and at times we accuse, we start to gossip, and we can actually be harsher than the world around us. And it doesn't take long if you read uh, church articles that somebody could do something that is just perfect and there's going to be equally as many articles saying um, why what they did was inappropriate or wrong. Now, when I first accepted a position to be full-time uh, on working in a church and, and on a staff, I was, was I 30? I think I was 30 years old, 30 or 31 maybe. And so I, I came in to, to church ministry later. Both my wife and I, we, we worked and we served in youth ministries and we, we just dedicated much of our lives to the church and to young people. Um, however, we did not have the background that a lot of these uh, kids who were raised uh, and they really not, didn't have a job experience, um, then they went to college and then started working in a church right away. And so I started to see right away when we would do gatherings with the Assemblies of God and the camps, I was, I was having um, difficulty relating. Um, and then I started, I started to get super judgmental because I started hearing and seeing things that, that pastors were doing not only with their youth, but in their churches. And I was mortified. I was aghast. I was like, are you kidding me? What, is, what are you doing? And so I started um, having a lot of, of problems in the first couple of years of my ministry. And part of that was um, you know, learning and finding my own voice in, the, in a sea of a uh, million voices now with our technology. And um, I was also um, trying to figure out my philosophy of ministry. Now, a lot of these young kids were coming out and the professors and their home churches kind of taught them their philosophy of ministry. So they kind of had this idea and they were, they were kind of set, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and now we're going to go win everybody for Jesus. And so, you know, my, my wife, she went to YWAM, Youth with a Mission. She went to school in Amsterdam and then she went out to Mexico. You know, we, we had different backgrounds and we came into this. And so we started to go, this, we cannot believe some of this, some of the things in churches that they're doing. And as this is happening, I started to gravitate towards people that felt the same. Well, what happens? I think we all know this. You are now stuck in an echo chamber of people that feel the same and think the same as you. Now, as time started to go on, I started to realize, and I would say both for my wife and I, that the Lord and the Holy Spirit began to gently teach us, and sometimes it was not so gentle, maybe a smack or two on the head, saying, hey, get with it, is that some of these people and some of the ministries, what they were doing, were reaching people that I will never reach. That the way that I do things, the way that I think, the way that, that our hearts are, are different. And I have to start being able to celebrate with people. And actually, this happens in Scripture, where one of the disciples runs up to Jesus, 
and says, somebody is preaching in your name and casting out demons in your name. Lord, can I go stop them? And Jesus rebukes him. And he says, if they are not against us, they are for us. And the Lord had begun to, to teach us in ministry that just because somebody looks different, sounds different, does something different, it doesn't make it wrong. And that we have to understand that as people are doing their best to reach a world that is by the day and by the week going further and further from the gospel of Christ, that we need to understand that we have to become creative in being able to reach people for Jesus Christ. So, the Lord began to stretch us, and I realized that, um, that I was much like some of these disciples that were going, hey, Lord, they're, they're doing it all wrong, and Jesus was the one to correct them. Now, I want to just show you a couple slides here. Um, could you uh, pull up the first one of Scripture for me? So, I want to first look at how... Um, how some people judge Jesus here. Now, in Matthew 20, 29 through 34, there were two blind uh, men, and they were outside as Jesus was going through. A huge crowd is starting to follow them, and the two men hear that Jesus is coming, so they start shouting out, Son of David, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. The Son of David is, is proving the lineage that the Messiah had to come from the line of David. Son of David, this is a huge, huge statement, but we're not taking time on that today. And the crowd begins to rebuke them, starts to judge them. How dare you call the Messiah? He is too busy for you. you you've probably sinned to cause this blindness. So you need to be left alone. But Jesus stops and looks at them and says, what is it you want? Knowing, of course, and he heals them. Matthew 21, 14 through 16, the, the chief priests and teachers were coming against Jesus in the temple because the children were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. They come and they're like, how dare you let these kids do this? How dare you allow this? So now the chief of priests, the priests and the teachers are coming against the Messiah, the son of God, the one that they're supposed to be teaching about and correcting him publicly in the house of God. Isn't this ironic? And Jesus says, the Bible says that in the mouths of children and babes, we'll sing the praises of the Lord. You use the scripture as they try to correct God. Matthew 27, 22 through 23, the crowd turned on Jesus. We're going to see that at the end of this week. The, many of the same people who called out the name of the Lord and celebrated and worshiped and sang Hosanna were the ones saying crucify him judged him. Mark 3, 20 and 21. Jesus' family, it said that they tried to take ownership of him, like somebody who had, had lost their mind. It said that he has lost his mind. The crowds had gotten there, the disciples, that they couldn't even eat. There were so many people crowding them, and Jesus' family started to judge him and say, okay, he doesn't even know what he's doing anymore. Could you go to the next, please? John three twenty six. John the Baptist's disciples complained because Jesus' ministry had now surpassed John's ministry. John's ministry was the one that, that all the leaders knew about. They were coming and asking if he was the Messiah. He was the one baptizing. Now, after John baptizes Jesus, Jesus' ministry has exploded. John's lost some of his disciples over there. And the ones that stuck with John said, look, 
Jesus' ministry is over there, and now people, he's, their ministry, because Jesus didn't baptize anyone, his disciples did. He said, now they're baptizing, and they have more than us. This is just like church ministry saying, well, what is it that they're doing that, that they, what do they got? Why are they, why are they exploding and we're not? We got to, we got to do something about this. Let's, let's, let's go vandalize. Let's go. No, <laughs> John 12, four through five, Judas, Jesus's disciple was angry. This is what we just read it. So here, now I'm going to be agreeing with Judas on this for a second here, because I can tell you that if, if this happened today, if Jesus was here and, and Jesus was, was among us and having this dinner and some woman who let down her hair, especially in this culture, this, this, was, this was not something that you did publicly. And not only was this a year's wages, it could have been used for so many things, that now she is starting to wash Jesus, and she, she lets out her hair and begins to wash his feet. Begin, and this was intimate. This was something like we have never seen. This is a praise that shows us that there is no praise that is too much for the Lord to accept. What this, what was coming from her heart was so pure, and it was so much in worship to God. But let me tell you, to be there in that place, it would have been hard we would have been very uncomfortable with what was happening there. We would have been like, okay, this is, this is getting kind of, I mean, this is weird. I mean, she's crying and washing his feet with her hair. I mean, this is, this would have been really hard. This would have been, most of us would have looked at this and said, this is inappropriate. But again, we're talking about what is the other side of the story? The other side of the story is that Jesus knew where he was going. He knew that death was coming soon. And, and there was a spiritual element and there was a prophetic element happening here that this was preparing his body for death. How many times have we not understood what God was doing? Man, how many times did somebody do something or, or speak something and we shushed them? How many times was somebody feeling so strongly to do some kind of ministry and somebody stopped them because it just didn't look right. It doesn't seem appropriate. How many times have we been in the way of what God is wanting to do? So look at, just think of this for a second. Family, closest friends, disciples, the crowd, teachers, the spiritual leaders, all of these people. I don't think we left anybody out. These people had a difficult understanding what God was doing. Isn't it possible and isn't it true that we are doing the same today in different ways? Because we know that God is alive. We know that his spirit is alive and working in us, through us, among us. And man, I do not want to get in the way. I don't know about you, but I do not want to get in the way of what God is trying to do. How can we be quick to listen and slow to speak. Think if we just, as a church, did that this week. We thought to ourselves, we are going to be quick to listen and slow to speak. What could that change? Even in our marriages, with our kids, with our grandkids. Every time we gather and lift up the name of Jesus, it is an opportunity 
for the triumphal entry of the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to say that again. Every time we gather, lift up the name of Jesus, it is an opportunity for the triumphal entry of the Holy Spirit to come. Now, one of the problems that we face in churches today started in the 90s, and they started calling it worship wars or, or music wars. And uh, churches split. They're still splitting today uh, because of it. New congregations are formed. So I have, uh, I have some fun things here for you today. Some of you are looking at these things. I know it. So let me ask a question. How many of you still have one of these? One, two, don't you remember these for pickles? Oh, this one smells, oh, I don't think it was. You guys know what these are, right? I mean, yeah, you put your pickles in here and you just pull it up and all the liquid stays at the bottom. Oh man, these things were genius. Man, these things were everywhere. I, I, when I was young, I think every grandma in America had one of these. And some of us were lucky to steal them before they went to the thrift store. Now, I had some other plates that were really well known too, but th this one was pretty well known. I don't know, anyone have this, this one? No? Okay. <laughs> My wife. She's so lippy. How about these? Anyone have, uh, anyone have any matching sets of these? Okay, we got some. Yeah, and then if you pull them out, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even bring the big ones. Yeah, these things just keep going. These keep going. And oh, now this one, this one I know. How many, how many of you used to have one of these or recognize this? The butter container? Oh, some of you are, are, are jealous right now. Some of you want these, but you don't get them. These are from my home. Yeah, I mean, these are good. And then, now, this is the best. I'm pretty sure this is original, an original. <laughs> well, I got this from a thrift store in St. Paul for under five bucks, like in 1998 or so. And uh, my, my buddy and I, we thought it was funny to have a house before we ever got married. And so our apartment had like pictures covering all the walls, and we made each one just a little crooked. It was great. We, we thought we were really funny. <clears throat> but yeah, so how many of you remember this? Oh, of course. Of course. We remember this. And why do you think that is? <laughs> because in Minnesota. So... All right, so I'm, I'm going to try and tie this into a few things. So I have a couple of pictures of a man in uh, his name. So this is Keith Yates. Um, he goes by Bear. Um, he is very well known all over the place. Um, he is, uh, actually, when I was driving out to Wilmer, I tried to stop and see him, but he wasn't, he wasn't answering. He, um, he lives in Cocado. He is just a remarkable man. So this night, he was spending the night um, at our house. I used to work with him when I worked in... Uh, um, some juvenile delinquent homes for about seven years. And uh, he, his claim to fame is he went to blind school with Stevie Wonder. Um, he grew up in, um, in very destitute type of situations. And um, he is highly, highly intelligent. He used to tell Stevie Wonder that his music was terrible. I want to let you know that. Now, Bear thinks that any hymn after the 1800s is garbage. Anything after the 1800s is garbage and probably theologically false. Now, he has an incredible theological mind. He speaks German. He, he, is, he sings um, classical. I mean, he, he's just, the guy is totally amazing. But if you walked by him, you would judge. 
You, you, you would have, there would be judgment that would automatically come from him. But what's important, and, and what I'm going to tie this in with, is how he thinks that music after the 1800s is, is just not worth it, or churches shouldn't be singing it. And I was flipping through the radio the other day, and I was thinking to myself, look at all these genres. Look at all this type. We've got the classical. We've got the 90s. We've got the 80s. We've got the country. We've got, we've got everything from talk radio to, you know, old time, whatever. I mean, it's everything is out there and available. And what's really interesting is that for us, that the first 20 years is about the music that sticks with us for the rest of our lives. It sticks with us. Now, um, I, I remember, I think it was about eight years ago or so, um, Dr. George Wood, who um, was our um, Assemblies of God superintendent in the United States for, for many, many years. And he was in this small, packed-out chapel. I mean, there was standing room only. And he said something that I will never forget. He, he stood in the center. He had his very uh, finely ironed suit, and he had his Bible open. And he's looking at walls full, filled with ministers, and people would come early to hear from him. And he closes his Bible, and he looks out, and he said, you know, I would like nothing more than to be in a church service that there's just glass, stained glass surrounding a big, beautiful church. And he said, and we all have our hymnals out and open and we are singing on the tops of our lungs with the organ going, and we can hear it. And he said, this is what I crave. He said, this is what I desire. And then he said something that shocked me, is he said, but for the sake of this next generation, I forego my desires for the sake of the next generation. It gripped me. And I, and I thought in my heart, I thought, can I be like this man? in 60 years. Can I be like this man? So two things. And why did I bring this out? Many of these things here were at a time when education, you could go from state to state, from city to city, and we were taught the same things. We had the same textbooks. There was very little variance. Years ago, you could go from church to church to church and you knew that you would know at least a few of the songs. You knew it. And there's something wonderful and there's something great about that. But let me tell you something. You can't get into to the store and, and I bet you if I held up some plates today that nobody would even care and nobody would even matter because you can go to Target and have 10 different styles right there. Then you go to Walmart then you go to Amazon, then you go to Macy's or wherever place hasn't shut down yet. There are so many options. And in a country where we love options, we love to choose, right now, this is a consequence as a church that we are facing. And it's frustrating. You know, my parents will come and they'll say, we didn't know any of the songs. Did you know that Lowell Lundstrom who passed away in 2012. He had a wonderful ministry as an evangelist. Uh, they created a celebration church in the South Metro. And he himself wrote over 600 hymns. 
Now, Bear, of course, would not have accepted them. Over 600, over 60 albums. So now I want you to think of the way and the length of time and that has happened where now, where you used to have to pay thousands of dollars and be a top, top tier of expertise to go create an album. Now you can sit in your room and create an album and it can go viral. There was a girl in our state who just sat in front of her piano. She was a part of our Assemblies of God world. She just sang her heart out to the Lord. And within weeks, it went viral and she was on a Good Morning America show. Within weeks of some girl just singing a worship song to the Lord. Think of that for a second. We have churches all around us who are creating albums, creating worship songs, creating their own things. And they are singing unto the Lord. There is nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there is a consequence to us. And it's difficult. And, and I am one that grew up in the church. And there are songs that I just feel like when they are sung, I, for me, it is a preference and there are songs that I feel like I can enter into worship so quickly because there's the nostalgia part of it. And so what happens? We become judgmental. It becomes more difficult. But the truth is, and, and here's, here's where the truth is, is that when we are laying down before the Lord and putting our palm branches down and laying our coats and our cloaks before God, and when we are lifting up our voices, He doesn't care. He doesn't care which song that we're singing. He hears the praise of his people lifting up before him. The scripture says that every nation, every tribe will be lifting up the name of Jesus. I don't know if uh, English is going to be his preference, friends. What's it going to do to our hymns? <laughs> there is great news for us is that even though we have different preferences, God still accepts our praise, regardless of our preferences. But it's hard, isn't it? And maybe you don't deal with this, but I do. I deal with it. There's things that I miss. There's things that I liked. But also I'm thinking about, for the sake of this next generation, for the sake of this and next generation, there's so many ways that we praise the Lord. And, and I, I just think, how many times have we minimized the praise of others? How many times have we been in the way of what God was doing in somebody else's life? Luke 19, 35 through 40, they brought it to Jesus. They, they threw their cloaks in the colt, on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes through the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in the loud voices of all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Luke's account shows the hate received from the Pharisees once again. But for me, this has been one of the, just as a kid, it just, it just took hold of my 
imagination of the rocks crying out. And there would be times as I was going through the woods and I would see these rocks or I'd see the trees and I would see the creation of God. And I would start to imagine what it would be like for creation to begin to lift their voices before the Lord. Now I have a theory. You can call this theory number 127. Um, last week, um, Alan, I didn't ask you for permission, but last week, Alan had stopped me and he had, he had talked to me about this song that he had been listening to on YouTube over and over and over again. I want to let you know that I, there were over three million uh, when I listened, and I thought, Alan probably had a million of these that he's listened <laughs> to it. And it, it is a song of Hosanna, and, and it, is, it is being sung, and he said, you need to have, he stopped me, he said like five times, you need to have really good earphones. You need to have good earphones when you listen to this. The harmony is just amazing. The sound is incredible. What's happening in the song is just incredible. The praise. And he said, I have spent so much time praising and worshiping the Lord. And as our conversation began to continue down this road, we, we agreed that there are times that people who do not even accept Jesus, that as their gifts, that they are mirrored in the Creator, and as their gifts are being done, whether in so many different ways, that they are actually worshiping the Lord and they don't even know it. I have heard secular songs and I have began to cry and worship God because of his creation. The breath that is coming out of their mouth is only because of God. And oh, would they know this. Oh, that they could find out that the only reason that this is happening from them is because of God Almighty. After I read about the rocks and the stones crying out if these disciples didn't, I believe, and this is where my theory comes, I believe on the great and wonderful day that the Lord returns, that there will be no choice. I think that all creation, I think that it is going to explode in worship. I don't think the creation will be able to stop itself from crying out to the Lord. As we know in Psalms 19, where, where it says that all creation, it says that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. So as we gather and lift up our voices, as we are calling upon God who led Israel out of Egypt, the God who turned the water into wine, the God who hovered over the waters of the deep in the beginning of, of creation. This week, the God who left heaven to be a sin offering for us, to be the scapegoat, has taken the sin of the world upon himself to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, call on his great name. Worship him. Adore him. Your praise matters. My praise matters. As a church, our praise matters. There will always be somebody who is trying to extinguish your praise. But do not forget that Jesus, who wept before Israel, showed his humanity in that moment. In his humanity, every single person around him tried to stop the praise that he was doing because he saw his father up in heaven doing and he was obedient to that. And people did not understand what God had been trying to do. And I think that each one of us 
needs to understand that we can be just like all of these other people to get in the way of what God is trying to do. Therefore, we must be quick to listen, quick to listen and slow to speak. Will you, this week, think of James 1.19? Will you start going, okay, Lord, am I being judgmental? All right, Lord, am I rushing to judgment about this person? Okay, Lord, am I getting in your way of what you're trying to do? Lord, help me to be slow to speak. I think starting Holy Week, that this is something that is very manageable for us. Don't you think? Don't you think that this is something that we can do? That we can just sit and listen for a little bit? Before we rush to judgment, would you please stand? My friend Bear and I have, have gotten into some pretty heavy debates. We, we, uh, we feel pretty passionate about some different things. And um, some of them are, are pretty significant, too. He, he said a couple times, Your wife's still preaching in that church? No women in the church. <laughs> women in the church let me tell you something we, uh, we have wept together over the scripture some of these things are preferences some of these things are they, they don't really matter when it comes to the salvation of man we are coming into holy week and I, I just are you ready to see the Lord are you ready have you made a commitment to Jesus Christ yet? If you have not, man, I tell you what, this is such a good week to accept Christ. Man, what a celebration to be the week to accept Jesus Christ. If, if you're in that place today, I want you to come right after this service. I want you to come up here. Or if you're like, hey, right now I want to do it, you just come up here and we're going to pray with you. What a celebration. There might be some of you here today saying, hey, I have been far off and I need to realign myself with Jesus. This is the week to do it. This is the week to do it. Realign your heart. Realign your mind. And let's celebrate let us worship the Lord together. Let's also understand that our praise, your praise matters before the Lord. Do not stop praising him. Let your voice be heard. Let the gifts that God has put inside of you be seen. Because as you work, as you do your best, you are worshiping the Lord in that. And then allow our corporate worship that every time we lift up the name of the Lord, regardless of which Hosanna song that we sang, we are inviting the triumphal entry of the Holy Spirit to come in this place. Let's recognize that, friends. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, I, I just, I pray for wisdom. I, I, I pray for, for discernment for us as we uh, move forward to reach new generations, Lord, before you. Lord, I ask for you to, to come alongside us as a church, to be able to speak 
to young people, to, to speak to people who are older, who, who just have not come to you, Lord. May we be a church that is a safe place to come. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that our praise, our praise, Lord Jesus, will, will not be uh, muted by each other, Lord, but our praise will be a lifted up offering and a beautiful fragrance before you. Hallelujah. Would you just take a moment and just, just pray in your own words right now. Just thank the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, we glorify your name in this place, Lord Jesus. Lord, we enter this week, Lord Jesus, with just thanksgiving and praise before you, and we sing Hosanna, Lord Jesus. Oh, Hosanna, we lift up our names before you, Lord Jesus, and we lift up your name, and Lord Jesus. Oh, glorify your name, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Turn hearts to you, Lord. Lord, we pray for the hard hearts, Lord Jesus, that have just been broken and bruised and hurt, Lord, over time. Soften them hard hearts today, Lord Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. And the church said, amen and amen. If today, if you have recommitted your life to Christ, if you need to just accept Christ, I want you to come up, talk to us. Let somebody know. And I want you to also just be thinking about what's happening over this next week. Invite people on Sunday. Invite people this week. It's going to be a great week. 7 o'clock on Friday for Good Friday and Easter. Come, come, and uh, we will see you on Friday night. God bless you. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.